0: The first reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. It is the story of Samuel as he encounters and listens to God calling him, literally. Samuel was the child of Hannah, and Hannah and her husband did not think that they would have children for a long time. And she prayed that if she would become a mother, she would give her child over to the priest of the temple to be raised. And so when Samuel was born, after a time, she took him to Eli, the priest, that he might raise Eli… that Eli might raise Samuel up. And this encounter occurs as Samuel is a resident of the household of the priest Eli. Let us listen that we may hear what God will say to us. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. But Eli said, I did not. Go lie down. So Samuel went and lay down. And the Lord had called again, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel got up and he went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But Eli said again, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you again, you will say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading this morning is from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Both readings this morning come to us or um, our our selections from the lectionary, which is a preaching tool that is used by many different uh, Christian churches around the world. And the lectionary is fixed and set in, in a cycle that runs through three years, and I did not choose this reading today in a sense, it chose us. So I invite you to listen that you may hear. What the Lord is saying. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and He said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathaniel, And he said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to Nathanael, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked Jesus, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see far greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Why is it that when we talk to God, it's called prayer, but when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia? Yeah, it's a line that comedians have used. It's not not original with me. Maybe even a psychologist or two, I don't know. You may have seen it on a bumper sticker. I know I have, and it does reach out and grab you. We talk a lot about prayer. but. Do we really expect our prayers to be answered? The story of Sam, Samuel is often used as a prototypical call story from the Bible. You heard it. You may have even pondered what it means for you and your circumstance. Hannah has given over her son Samuel to be raised by the, prophet Eli, by the priest Eli. Wow. <clears throat> That's pretty intense. And doing that, the boy hears a call one night, and he goes to the person he thinks should know what it is about, or the person who called him, and he said, Eli, you called me. Here I am. What do you want? The Scripture doesn't exactly say this, but I have to think Eli, being a man of a certain age, got up a lot in the night. And he probably didn't take well to a child coming in and rousing him but he finally got it he got what was going on Samuel did not comprehend what was happening and Eli laid open, broke open the things that were possible for him someone took Samuel and shared with him the things that happen. Sometimes that happens to us. People open for us what has happened and, and give us clarity and meaning and purpose about it. Maybe that has happened to you. When I was a student chaplain in seminary just a few years ago, I was assigned to work in a physical rehabilitation hospital. I felt awkward. I showed up that first day, and I did the orientation, and a couple of days later I was dispatched to go and do my duties in the hospital to meet patients and staff and serve as a chaplain is supposed to serve. And so I did. In one of my very first patient encounters, in fact it may have even been the very first one, I went in to see a woman who was in the hospital for some reason that I cannot recall at the moment. And we began talking. We began talking about healing and about what she hoped for. And after a few minutes, after I'd introduced myself and we'd had this preliminary conversation, she said to me, who sent you? It was a question that I was not expecting. I I sort of stumbled around and said, well, I'm one of the new chaplains here for the summer. I didn't say that I was doing this for a grade, but I was there because of that. I was supposed to be there." She pursued that, "'Who sent you?' And again, I stammered and stumbled for a few minutes. And finally she said, "'The Lord sent you.'" It took me by surprise. She was from a Pentecostal background. And she believed that the Lord had sent me. I don't know what about our interaction convinced her of that, but I know that she felt that presence. And I must say that as I thought about it then and as I have thought about it through the years, I've realized that this woman was like a Philip to me. I had raised up my, taken up my family, and we had moved from a comfortable and a very uh, secure location in western North Carolina, and we'd moved to a city in the Midwest without complete assurance that there was work to be had with some uncertainty. And she told me that my presence with her that day was something of God's doing. Philip's friend Nathaniel was a bit brusque when he invited, when he was invited to, uh, to come and meet Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip said, and Nathaniel said, excuse me, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The message translation renders that. Nazareth? You gotta be kidding. Nazareth was not known as a great city of anything. It was just a place. Now, I could make light of this and I could say some baby, sometimes people around here have said something like, can anything good come from Tuscaloosa or Athens or Auburn? But Given all the conversation we've had in recent days, I don't think I have to put a fine point on it, many times people judge people by where they come from, and they say things that are not necessarily affirming. I've done it. I know I've done it. But Philip is that persuasive kind of friend who drags Nathaniel along to meet Jesus face to face. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus overwhelms him with grace and with goodness and with his presence. It's not simply that Jesus seems to understand Nathaniel. He did understand Nathanael. He understood him as a person, and he confronts Nathanael with his own sense of self-importance and entitlement. When Nathanael was introduced to Jesus, Jesus says, Nathanael, you speak your mind. That's not the way Scripture renders it, but it's what He's saying there is no deceit in you. You speak your mind. You are clear about that. And Nathanael realized that Jesus knew his heart and that Jesus knew who he was. And then Jesus invited Nathanael to come along and to follow him, to come and see what else was possible. Today we take for granted that there are all sorts of biblical translations, but 50 years ago there were not quite as many as we have today. In the 1960s, a Bible scholar by the name of J.B. Phillips translated the Bible into the contemporary English of that day. One of the things that struck Phillips that he wrote about was the way in which Jesus drew Himself into the lives of other people. You may have known someone who does that, whose presence you walk into, and it's just like they they suck you in, and and you're with them, and you're excited, and you feel like there is something special in that relationship. And so, Philip did that. J.B. Phillips concludes that there was something magnetic about Jesus, about the way in which that effect happened on Nathanael and the others who followed him. And it's not just in this one encounter. Philip says it happened over and over again. Each one of the four Gospels tells the ministry of Jesus in a slightly different way. There is material that's in all of them, and then there's material that's peculiar to one or two of them. But all of them, All of them bear witness over and over again to the way in which Jesus interacts with people and Jesus draws them to him. The blind man at the pool in Bethsaida is told by Mark. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, as Luke tells the story. The Canaanite woman who had a tormented daughter, Matthew tells about. And then there's the centurion at the foot of the cross that we hear from both in Mark and in Luke. And these are only a few of the ways in which Jesus interacts with people and draws them out and draws them into the divine presence. But the biblical accounts don't simply stop there. They don't simply stop with Jesus. The power of Jesus' presence in the world is told over and over again in the book of Acts an Ethiopian eunuch was riding along and Philip, a a disciple named this same Philip, came alongside and interpreted the Scripture to him. And the eunuch said, what do I need to do to share this good news with my people? The the, the, uh, religious leader Saul went to, was going to Damascus to tear down the the community of Jesus followers in Damascus, and yet there along the way he has an encounter that changes his life with the risen Lord, a vision, a divine encounter. Peter goes to the house of the Gentile centurion, Cornelius, because he is invited, even though the law would have said, You really don't interact with those sorts of people. And while he is there in that place that some would call unclean, God's power lays open and the Holy Spirit blows on that house. And many come to want to seek and be part of the community of Jesus followers, proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Lord of all Is powerful. It happens over and over again. Even in a way, we can think of it happening with Samuel. Even though that was all before Jesus, it happened and he understood God was calling him. It happens for us. And it will happen for those who come after us. Each encounter that was here is where someone says to another person, come and see what is out there. Come and see the power of God in Jesus Christ in the world. I want you to consider Philip's invitation to come and see Jesus, to be that invitation to come into this place of community and ministry at First Presbyterian Church. You may think, what good can come out of here? Let's acknowledge the last three years have been very hard. There has been a fissure, really a schism is what it could be called. Friendships were traumatized, some broken. Families were strained. There are effects that linger and some very real ways with us to this very day. The church community was torn asunder. There is no sugarcoating it. There have been losses in this three years, for sure. But as I have lived with you now for almost two and a half of those years, I realize that what happened in 2015 did not simply begin then. One of the wonders of the Presbyterian tradition is that we document a lot of stuff. And when you go back and you look at the, look at the attendance records and the uh, membership numbers and those sorts of things, something very striking can stand out. 2006 was the high watermark for church membership here, but every year after that, things began to slip a little bit. Yes, a lot of good things happened in those years. Do not get me wrong when I say that. A lot of good things did happen. But there was also a time when there were some seeds of discord and anxiety that were sown then that bore a bitter fruit. So why would anyone want to hear an invitation to come and see Jesus in this place? Why would I have the audacity to even say that? Because I believe God is present here. You have been a faithful people in your walk through this time. It has been hard, and it's not all over yet, I'm sure. But by God's goodness and God's mercy and God's care, you share those things with each other and with others, even in those very, very hard times. You share God's love and God's grace and God's hope. You demonstrate many, many, many of the fruits of the spirits. And in this time, new ministries are being born. New people are stepping into roles of leadership and nurture. You are letting the power of the Holy Spirit blow through you as individuals and as a community. Presbyterian minister, Joan Gray, describes two kinds of church churches, and she has spoken from this pulpit before. She describes the sailboat church as the one that unfurls its sails and allows God's Spirit to inflate them and to carry it along so that it may do the mission and ministry that Jesus Christ calls it to in its place. And then she says the second kind of church is the rowboat church. That is the church that wants the same thing. It wants to do the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. But instead of allowing, instead of unfurling its sail, it believes that if you recruit more rowers, you can go faster and farther. There's only one problem with that. Sometimes, when people are come in to row, they are not rowing in the same direction. Sometimes, when they come in to row, they, have, they will tire and they will eat, they, they, will, they will lose their, their, uh, their commitment. In the rowboat church, it is thought that all you need is more paddles. But you know what? You know, and I know that that's just not true. I don't want to say, I want you to know that paddles are good. Paddles are necessary. So please don't get me wrong. But the power that carries us through for greater good and greater things is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the wind that, that gives us life. It is the wind that carries us along. And that is what is needed for our sustenance and for our ministry and for our life not just for now, but for the future. And I sense that wind is coming here. I can feel it, I can sense it, and I know it will. Come and see what God is doing here. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.